Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2. Last week we walked through uh, the initial call of Joshua by God to be the person who takes the place of Moses. That's daunting. To be the person who leads the children of Israel into a land that had been promised that was full of giants. And we clo- one of the main verses, this general th- theme through the, ver- the, through the passage is, Be strong and courageous, don't, be, don't fear nor be dismayed, because the eye of the Lord your God am with you. Be strong and courageous because I'm with you. This picture of the faith of Joshua. After that, we look at chapter 2, which is a unique story. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open that to Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to read this over us. Uh, If you are a guest with us, a a first-timer, typically the flow of a sermon, we'll, we'll do a bit of an introduction where the pastor, not every pastor, but but I myself, I try to connect the dots from something that has taken place in my life to what is taking place in the life of whatever text that we're looking at. As I read this to you, you'll realize why that story's not here today. Uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, N-U-N, not N-O-N-E. That'd be weird. And we'd have to work through more. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went, and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. But it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered into your house. For they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men, and she'd hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And... When the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof and had hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came to them on the roof and she said to them, I I know, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land, they melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any, uh, any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house." And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my mother, my brother, and my sisters, and all those who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. 
If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built in the city wall, so that so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. Then the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brother and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. We shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid out on anyone who is with you in, in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if, you, but if you tell this business of ours, then you, we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. 21. According to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed, and they went into the hills, remained three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came to the hills, and they passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. Verse 24. This is super important, just like the rest of the verses in the Bible. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also the inhabitants of the land, they melt away because of us. As a friend of mine likes to say, and in the words of Smokey and the Bandit, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So let's begin to work through this text. When you look at this story, we have uh, a few... Uh, misunderstandings as to what's taking place here because we don't always understand context. Context, when you look at the Bible, is what's actually taking place. And to understand what's taking place here, we have to know what's taking place in Canaan, in Israel, what's taking place in the world in which they live. If you and I were to do a study of Canaan, which we sort of are, you will see that it's divided into city-states and each is controlled by its own government. When you look at the city-state of Jericho, where they're going in, you find out that they were under Egyptian rule, and it was set up much like a Wild West town. If you've ever watched a Western, if you've ever lived in Texas. There was a saloon there in the middle of the town that doubled as a boarding house. It was a hotel. Let's go less Hampton, more Motel 6. It may not even have been a 6. It may have been a 4 and a half. We have commonly understood Rahab to be a madam of sorts. She was more than likely a prostitute. Her worked her way up in the realm of prostitution. She's over these other prostitutes. And if there were visitors or suspicious people who came to the land like two Hebrew boys, then this was where they would stay. And the leadership would know that. When this passage talks about a king in Jericho, you've really got more of a, a sheriff, if you will. He runs his little area. Uh, Jericho is an oasis in the middle of the desert. It is a fruitful place. But when we look at this little story, you have a situation where Joshua sends two men in to do a, 
a scouting mission. And if we read through the Bible, we have to ask a few questions. The first question is, why is this story even here? Joshua chapter 1 is the story of God sending Joshua across the Red Sea, or across the Jordan River rather, to deal with the Canaanites, the giants, with their modern technology and their savagery, and that they ate puppies for breakfast, as we said last week. You can go from Joshua 1 to Joshua 3 and not lose a bit of what is actually taking place in the story at 50,000 feet. Why would God tell us the story of a prostitute in the middle of this? Because God wants us to know that He can use whomever He wants, whenever He wants, however he wants, for whatever he wants. They put their trust in a woman who came from a people, the Canaanites, who the nation of Israel was told in the book of Deuteronomy to destroy. Because of her profession... She is an abomination to anyone who would look at her. In a patriarchal society where women were second class citizens, she's not even that. As far as her religion, she is not Jewish. As a matter of fact, she's polytheistic. Uh, This means she worshiped lots and lots of different gods. Morally corrupt culture. She wasn't a moral example in any way, shape, or form. When we really begin to look into the, the history of an area like this, we, we really have a situation that is much less pretty woman and much more, uh, it's darker than that. The stories that we read today about girls who've been taken captive have been made into slaves. This is more like what we find with Rahab. She's part of a system. She's a part of that system. She's the lowest of the low. She's a forgotten person. And look at me, Christian friends. We need her. We need to read her story because every Christian is her. If we never see ourselves as the people who were far from God, who've been drawn near to God by nothing but grace, we miss what Christianity is. For her, in verse 4, to lie to the king, the sheriff, is treason. She is putting her neck on the line for men that she does not know. So let's just shift away from understanding Bible stories through cucumbers and realize that this is deep, dark treachery against your nation. Because you found someone that is better. Verse 6 and 7, this is where we get hung up. And I don't want us to get hung up on this at Grace Bible. You can if you go visit other churches, that's okay. But she had brought them up to the roof and she hid them after the stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof. So these men, they left. Why did they leave? Because in the previous verses, she lied. 
a woman who comes from forgotten society, who's part of a morally corrupt culture, who practices something that is morally corrupt in the midst of that morally corrupt culture, lies. So many people read through this story and they get so hung up on her telling a lie that they miss the truth that God's trying to show us. God's got a bigger truth here for us. So we can quibble about lying if you want to. But it's almost like this. When Hope and I moved here 18 months ago, uh, we, we counted up the months the other day. 18 months. It's been a really, really good 18 months. We've only dealt with one hurricane. It was a major one, but we dealt with it. Uh, as a church, we watched... My wife, she's from the Gulf of Mississippi. She understood hurricanes. I had no idea what was taking place. But we, the first day that we were here, I was unable to be with them because I had a scheduled oral surgery. I would not encourage anyone to ever schedule one of those. They're terrible. Hope's here. She, her mom, her dad, they meet the company that, that, that's moving our stuff here. And when I get here the next day after my wife has signed paperwork because I gave her power of attorney, which makes me a little uncomfortable when I act like a dum-dum. When... I got here, there was nothing for me to do. All of the boxes were unpacked. All of the clothes were put up. All of the closets were full. Furniture had been moved in. There was nothing for me to do. The children were there, they were settling into our backyard. The swing set was up. Our administrative assistant at the time came by and she said, How long have you been here? Hope got here yesterday. So imagine, husbands, that you walk into a scenario like that. And you look around. After you've done nothing. The Hebrew word for nothing is nothing. The Tennessee word is too. Imagine you walk in and all of this is taken care of. And you begin to tell your wife, I don't like where you put the TV. Why are my shoes crooked in my closet? Why do you have more space than I do? She doesn't, by the way. Remember, she's a minimalist, and I am a border hoarder. <laughs> for us to be hung up on Rahab's lie is for us to miss the immeasurable grace that God shows through her story. Our quick desire to hold that lie against Rahab, which lots of churches do, lots of pastors do, we should be bothered by lying. It shows our low view of grace at work. It shows that we don't have the view of grace that God does. She lied. She was also a Canaanite prostitute. So what does this teach us, this inclusion of this story? That the church is not this holy huddle or this club that we make it into. 
But it is a rescue and a refuge for those who've been touched by the grace of God. If that's not the story we're telling, we're not telling the right one. What are these little Hebrew spies thinking, though? They snuck in. They knocked on the door of a brothel. They got sent to the roof. Verse 8. She came up to them and she said to them, I know the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen, the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land, they melt away before you. You're hiding. Why is anyone afraid of you? What has Rahab noticed about God? What, what has she noticed about this God? This God of a people that she is not part of? One commentator points out these three M's. I'm going to give those to you because when you get to verses 10 through 14, you see the weight of the story. This is where the, we, the sausage is made, if you will. You see the might of God. You see the majesty of God. And you see the mercy of God. Might, majesty, mercy. Verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. So faith here, her faith, her belief in who God is, extends beyond her to hearing what God has done in other places. So the story that meets her is that God has done miraculous things everywhere else. That God has parted a sea. That God has defeated kings that these little fellas should not have defeated. This was a migrant group of people. Yet God does immeasurable works. Then what does that teach us about our God? That teaches us that God does things and He's doing things even now that we do not recognize and that we should hope to line our lives up with. There are stories that God tells that go beyond the place where it's being told. What about in this room right now? How many of us have been given stories by God that are worth telling beyond walls of places like this? I heard four stories, four unique stories from four unique places, from four different angles that God has brought to himself. We can keep telling stories in this room. When, when I look around, because I get to know you, I spend time with you, I have stories of... I have stories of people who've recovered from drug addiction in this room regularly. 
I have stories of brokenness and abuse. We, we hear stories. We, we get to hear stories of, of single moms who by the grace of God are able to care for their children. We have stories of, of God reconciling and reuniting families. We have stories of God calling us to, to higher ground, to places where we would live in such a way as if the story that He's allowed us to be part of is a story that is worth telling. What's your story? Because you, we got stories of, of broken families that God has placed together. We have stories of, of stepchildren who hate their stepmoms and stepdads but now love them. We have stories of people who believe their God on top of belief that He is able to do whatever He pleases. What story are you telling? Your story is not for this sitting in this chair. The story of your faith, if it's about where you sit on a Sunday morning or where you drive or where you skip if, the, if it rains too much. The story that you tell is not limited to just where we gather. The story that we tell is that of a gathered people who scatter. The might of God... Let's look beyond the story of what God done, has done mightily through the nation of Israel. What has God done mightily in you? And where is that extending to? We also see the majesty of God. If you were to look at the areas that surrounded Israel, they were right here. And these areas that were surrounding Israel were tribal people who had regional gods. And not only did they have regional gods, they had gods that were uh, attributed to, to various things. So if there's a thunder, there's a god of thunder, a god of lightning, there is a god of death, there is a, you have these gods who are there. But notice what Rahab says about the God of Israel. As soon as we heard it, our hearts and our minds, there, there was no spirit left in any man because of you. We heard about you. But notice what hearing about how majestic and marvelous this God is does. It, it does two things. The people who are outside of relationship with God, the people who don't, who just know that He's coming, who know that He's bringing wrath, their hearts are, they're melting away. What are we about to deal with? But for the people who, this lady, sign me up for that. I have Texas for, like I said, a little while. Before that, I lived in Tennessee, and I would hear about Texas barbecue. And it's different, right? Have you ever tried to order barbecue in not Texas? Let's be more specific. Have you ever tried to order brisket in not Texas? There's a, there is a word for that. That's soggy pot roast. It's terrible. Every, I don't understand how this works either. It's not like seafood. Seafood, my wife and I, when we were first married, I tried to take her to Red Lobster. She was acting like I was taking her to Long John Silver's. But, but the cheese biscuits, you don't get it. She thought we were going to order at the register. She didn't know I was taking her to a fine dining experience. <laughs> but if you're a seafood eater, you know you don't need to eat seafood if you can't see the water. That's, that's how you get viruses. I don't know. Brisket, for whatever reason, it shouldn't work like that. A brisket 
brisketer in Tennessee should be able to make it taste the same way that it tastes anywhere else. But they don't. They just keep cooking soggy pot roast. So I'd heard about it. But I kept ordering my pulled pork. Eventually, we move and Jared said, let's eat at Killens, which is in Pearland. That's a different brisket. One of the guys in my life group, we, he's, we've traveled together some. We've got this barbecue crawl that we're in the middle of. Because we'd heard about it. But experiencing it is different. The story is divided. You've got these who hear about how big God is and how mag- magnificent he is and how he's coming for them. But then you've got this lady, for whatever reason, she's experienced this God. He's either the problem or he's the solution. We also see this. The mercy of God. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with my father's house. And you will give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all all who belong to him, and deliver our lives from death. Real faith is not realizing that God exists. It's resting in him. I spent a lot of my life with people in the, in the South. Areas very similar to ours. Areas very similar to uh, in regard to how they see church. A, a, a church culture or shall we say a de-church culture. The largest church in our area, there are 6,000 people who call that place home. They see 1,000 on a Sunday. The members that we have in this family of faith, uh, those who would call Grace Bible their church. I won't say members because we've got a high view of that. But those who say this is their church, we don't see that number of people every Sunday. The idea of following after God is not just realizing He exists. It's knowing that there's rescue in Him. And when people talk to me and people have conversations with you, how many of us have talked to someone who said, you know, I believe in God and when I decide to... One day I'll get right. And then I'll begin to live for Jesus. One day I'll straighten up. That sounds all well and good. But when we get beneath the top layer, the weight of that rescue is on that person. And that person can't rescue. The Hebrew boys, our life for yours, They didn't have a conversation about this scarlet cord. Egyptians, when we we look into the Old Testament and we see how God rescued the children of Israel from Egypt, we're reminded of that scarlet thread of covering. We're reminded of the angel of death being sent, how the angel of death was sent. But God told all of the Jewish people, 
to cover their doorpost with the, with the blood of their sacrifice. This imagery that we see here is that, that rescue is found in you covering yourself with what God has given you to cover yourself with. For those of us who are outside of relationship with Jesus, I, I want you to hear, I say this regularly, we're not saved by how kind we are or smart we are or how whatever we are. Whatever manageable level of acceptableness that you can create in and of yourself, you are not saved and delivered by that. You are saved by grace and grace alone. And that grace is that God would cover you through the person of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. We look at the text and, and we see this moving towards what happens with Rahab, moving towards the Hebrew spies going back to Joshua. And we see her trusting on top of trust that God would do what only God could do. This Canaanite prostitute who was stuck in a life that was miserable realized that there was rescue in one place. And that was in this king who was coming. That he would be gracious. Because somewhere in those stories there had, had to be tales of his graciousness. We get to the stories in the Bible as to who this is and how they work. There's a roll call of faith in the book of Hebrews. Abel, he had an acceptable sacrifice. Enoch, he walked with God. That sounds great. Noah, by faith, built an ark when no one knew what rain was. Abraham, by faith, stepped out when no one knew who this God was. Sarah had a baby at an age where women are not supposed to have babies. Rahab, by faith, trusted in the God of Israel, a God who she knew because he'd made himself known to her. Walking in faith means that we, very much like Rahab, look at our life circumstances and see that they are not excuses and they cannot be. One of the big problems in most churches is that our gospel is a story. When we look at it through the scriptures, it's a story believed, shaped, and transmitted by broken people. Broken people like Rahab, broken people like Peter, broken people like Moses, broken people like many, all of you actually. Me too. But most of us see church now as a place, a church of people who think that we are fixed for whom the story of the broken is offensive and their promise is irrelevant. We have forgotten who we were and if when we forget who we were, we cannot be who God intends for us to be. If for some reason you cannot see yourself as the harlot who Jesus brought into his family, you have a shallow, unbiblical view of salvation. But when you see that, that story is one that is worth telling because that story tells the greater story of Jesus who changes everything. We look into the story of Jesus, this line and lineage of Jesus, and you see four women who are there. You have Tamar, you have Ruth, you have Bathsheba. All three of those, in and of themselves, are messed up stories. And then you've got this story of this prostitute. One commentator says, Rahab is a blessed example of the sovereignty of God's grace and its power, of its freedom and sovereignty, in the calling and conversion of a person given up through her choice to the vilest of sins. Nobody, no sin should lead to despair when the cure of God's sovereign, almighty grace is engaged. 
Because in Jesus, as we have said, looking through the Scripture over the last few weeks, we are sinners who are definitely saved by grace, but we cannot miss who God has called us to be. A sinner saved by grace through faith that is empowering. A sinner saved by grace, God says you are more than a conqueror. A sinner saved by grace, Ephesians says you are God's masterpiece. Sinner saved by grace, God has told us throughout all of Scripture that you are now holy. Sinner saved by grace, you are holy and dearly loved. Sinner saved by grace, you are chosen by God. Sinner saved by grace, you are in the family of God. Sinner saved by grace, you are victorious through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. We are sinners saved by grace who are now more than conquerors through who God has made us in Jesus. Our circumstances are not excuses. They are the story of a marvelous God who does unbelievable things. If we miss that, we miss all of the teachings of Scripture about what the gospel is. By faith, Hebrews tells us, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. By faith, James says, in the same way, was not Rahab justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Scripture tells us that all of the Israelites, that an Israelite, when we look at the story, named Salmon, not pronounced like the fish. The fish is pronounced salmon. And if we need to work together on how to pronounce that, we can have a, a club or something. But Scripture tells that an Israelite named Salmon married Rahab. All this story winds together. They had a son named Boaz. From this line, her great-great-grandson was David, the king of Israel. Our Lord Jesus comes from this line of a woman who was a, an unacceptable pagan prostitute. And God gives us this story of her to say that she was now part of a future she could have never imagined and that's the future that he offers for every one of us this is a story of God's grace grafting us in to the family of God to be a people who would live in the face of circumstances and say yeah, I believe that Jesus is better than that. He's better than whatever I face. He's, be he's better than the struggles that are in front of me. I believe that Jesus is so much better. I love that verse 24 closes the story out. And the reason that I do, these guys go back to Joshua. If you'll remember, they were just on the roof of a brothel. But what they experienced in meeting Rahab and in what Rahab did... They go and they say, yeah, we, we can take that place. Let's go do it. How is your story affecting people? What is your story saying about the great God of the Bible whose might, majesty, and mercy you've seen and know? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Hear me, if you've never trusted Jesus, we would love to talk to you about that. So much so that I will be at the back of the room as we sing in a continuation of our worship. If you need to chat with me, 
I would love to pray with you, to, to talk to you about what it means that God would die in your place, that you could trust in His mercy to save you. If, if you're here, and you are a believer, and I believe in situations like ours, we have believers who show up every single Sunday, but for whatever reason, you've not seen how your story can tell the better one. We'd love to pray over you. We'd love to think through your places, the places you go, the people you're around. To encourage us to live out our faith in a way that says that we believe that Jesus changes things because he's worth everything. You need to have any of those conversations. You just need prayer. We're at the back. We, can, we, can, we would love to pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the stories you told through the water. Thank you for the story that you tell through your word. We thank you for the story that you keep telling through worship. So as we sing, let us consider your might, your majesty, and your mercy. Let us think about who we get to sing to. Let us extend hands. Let us kneel and pray. Let's beg you to move through us because you've moved in us. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus.